This morning, a scripture reading is taken from Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Are we ready? And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, that, uh, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Hallelujah. This morning, to minister the word of God to us is our own senior pastor, Reverend Dr. Fred Digby. Before he comes, we receive a song ministration for our special choir, the Tabernacle Choir. Please be, at, be, be alert because God is going to do something for you today. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So today we just want to declare this song that it's in Christ alone that we are made righteous, not of ourselves, not of any of our good deeds, but by the grace of God alone. Amen. drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are still when striving cease my comforter my all in all here in the love of Christ I stand alone who took on flesh fullness of God in hell bless babe this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on the cross as Jesus died the satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live there in the ground his body lay 
light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can Till he returns or calls me home Here in the power of Christ I stand No power of hell, no scheme of man Can ever pluck me from his hand Till he returns or calls me home power of Christ. Can we please be on our feet? No power of hell, no seam of man can ever love me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. No power of hell, no scheme of remain standing as we pray yes till he returns or calls us home here we are by the power of Christ here we stand to hear your word here we stand to do your word here we stand to thank you for a new month here we stand acknowledging your blessings and your grace here we stand unto you alone be glory praise and honor in our lives in our churches in our families and all that you do for us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. Please be seated. Hallelujah. Well, we continue our studies from the book of Philippians. A very exciting book. And today we'll be talking about being filled with the fruit of righteousness. Remember our theme for the year is manifesting manifesting Christ. And in this particular sermon, uh, when I was teaching students, I would have told them that what they are doing today, they have preached two sermons in one. 
but that's what I'll be doing with an explanation. I'll be preaching two sermons in one uh, because there's, there's an intention for us to get a context of what Paul is praying about, and then we'll see the prayer. So uh, help me, help me to stay within my 30 or 35 minutes, okay, so that I don't fly off the handle. Now, as you may know, We've been looking at the book of Philippians, and the founder of that church was Paul. By the time he was writing this letter, he was in prison. He founded this church about 10 years earlier. He had left them, and other people had taken the leadership mantle of that church. But somehow, what caused him to write this letter is the amazing behavior of the Philippians. That when they heard that he was in prison, they prayed for him, they loved him, and they sent somebody from their midst to go the 800 miles with money to go and serve Paul. In those days, as happens in some other countries like Ghana up to today, when you are in prison or you are behind the counter, you are guilty already. So the way they treat you, oh, uh, even if you die, I may say it's better. Except that some people, that experience helps them to become born again. There's no provision made for you. You raise your own money, you take care of yourself, you take care of all your logistics. So if Paul was in prison because of preaching the gospel, and the charge was sedition, that he was against the Roman emperor, governor, preaching that there was another king, Jesus Christ. Which of the Roman church members will volunteer to be near him? Nobody. So they will leave him there alone. Philippi was a Roman colony, but somehow they sent somebody who most undoubtedly registered himself as Paul's slave. And therefore he can be there to serve him. A very interesting thing. I'm sharing these things also to help us to have the appetite for Bible studies and for exegetical Bible study and background study. So he, he got the money, he got the help, and strangely enough, the help they sent to him, the help by Epaphroditus himself, became sick. And he prayed, and the man was healed. We'll hear more about that later on. So let me keep my time. So what is today about? I'll be talking mainly about two things. Paul and the Philippian church, what is said about them, and secondly, Paul's prayer for them. Paul and the Philippian church. So this is the background of the church. It was, it's exciting to know that God's church is always in transition as far as leaders are concerned. Paul started the church, and by the time he was writing, he was writing from prison, say, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ, to all the saints of Jesus Christ who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So by that time, they already had a structure, overseers and deacons who were leading the church. But the exciting thing that Paul writes is something that can guide us as a church, Calvary Baptist Church today, that can guide me or you as a leader as to whether we are maturing or not. Because when Paul is writing to them from verses 3 to 11, 
he mentions certain things that mark a church that is maturing. It is not a crime to be a baby Christian. We are all born baby Christians. As somebody said, the good news is that Christ saves us the way we are. But the great news is that he does not leave us that way. He matures us. And there must be signs of this maturity. Otherwise, you remain a baby. A 10-year-old who is still being fed by the mother or the parents who cannot pronounce something certainly needs an attention, needs severe I mean, attention medically. So what are the signs? First, they were thankful. They had a thankful heart. If they didn't have a thankful heart, they would not have remembered somebody who pastored them 10 years earlier. He was thankful to God for them, but they were also thankful. Thankful that he was in trouble and they could help him. Gratitude is a good mark of somebody who remembers where they came from. Thanking God, thanking the fellowship, thanking your leaders, thanking those who are nurturing you. But they were also marked by prayer. He prayed for them. Obviously, when he was praying for them, they were also praying for him. That the prison should be a good experience. Can you imagine when you read all those things that we read about the book of uh, Ephesians? Put on the whole armor of God. That you are in prison and these soldiers can bram, 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 dress like that. And they are standing in front of you. You shake to death. But how God was able to answer their prayer and Paul's prayer and give him an insight that all the things that he was seeing didn't scare him. Then he said, put on the full armor of God. And the man is able to translate the humudio things he was seeing. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the belt of truth. Buckle this. The foot. Hallelujah. And then when they heard that their messenger, Epaphroditus, was sick. Uh-oh. The prayer may have taken another level. A growing church must be marked by prayer. Pastor Washington was saying yesterday, and many of you didn't come, want to raise a church where you find at any time 2,000, 3,000 people praying. Yes, Ghanaians love to pray, but these days they are praying online. 300,000 people praying. Share the link, share the link. Yeah, no commitment, prayer. He satisfies them, but to belong and be part of the fellowship, they are not. The third mark is the mark of joy. Paul himself is so joyful. They said, when I remember you, my heart is filled with joy. I thank God every time I remember you. That's not a painful thing to remember them. Why? Didn't he remember that it is in Philippi that he was put in prison, that he was beating up? But he also remembers that in prison, God showed his power. When they were praising God and worshiping him, the chains broke off. And the man came crying. He said, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Say what? You are all here. Then baptize me tonight. Not only me, my wife, my children, my household. And he brought all of them. What? How can you go to prison and be baptizing people in the night before morning? Hallelujah. It can only fill his heart with joy. Because God is able to do more than we can ask or think or imagine. And that hardened warder, as they call them, <laughs> becoming, becoming a Christian under fiery circumstances can only be God. So he fills his heart. It's not, it's not a matter of overlooking the hardship, but seeing what God is doing. But then there's also the mark of fellowship. And that fellowship 
that because of your participation in the gospel from the very first day up till now, these people got the message. They got the message that Paul was not meant for them only. The gospel was not meant to be domesticated in Philippi. From Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, from Thessalonica to Berea, to all kinds of places they don't even know about. Finally, the man is in Rome. And these people are still pushing, pushing, pushing Paul. Preach the word. If you can't go, we'll pray for you. If you want to go to Burkina Faso, you want to go to China, you want to go to India, wherever you want to go, they are fellowshipping with each other in the church, but they are also fellowshipping with the saints, the missionaries. For some of us, when you talk about Ghana Baptist Convention, Ghana Baptist Association, this and that, Baptist one, what are they? What are all these? Why, why is our money going there? You haven't gotten it yet. The kingdom of God is only one. Walking onto the rest of the world, the three or four billion who are here to hear come to hear him. And so when the Philippians got it, Paul said, that is the mark of maturity, fellowshipping with him from the first day. Then, mark of confidence in their salvation. Paul was confident that these people, God has started a work in them and he will finish it. Why did he say that? He said, I'm very sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good thing in you will perfect it until Christ comes. He was sure because he could see the seed. He has seen them prayerful, thankful, fellowshipping, having confidence, partnering with him in the gospel and growing in everything. That's why he's confident. He's not confident because they bought a ticket, they've sat in the bus stop, they say they are Christian and they are going to heaven. No, that may be true. But you know, these are award-winning Christians. And may that be your story. Hallelujah. He's confident about them because he can see the seed. If you plant something, 10 years, you plant mango tree, whatever you plant, 10 years, you can't see anything. You are confident that this is a fruitful one. No. But when he can see the seed, then he's confident. Now, Let's go to the prayer. So, the nine, the, eight, the seven and the eight, the mark of growing and descending love and the mark of righteousness is the content of the prayer. But I choose to separate that as a second sermon that I'll preach as part B. Today's sermon, Paul's prayer and praying for them that they may have something. He prayed. If you look at that prayer, it's a very simple prayer. Nine, 10, 11. But I'll do a Bible study is what they call content analysis of Paul's prayer. Big word, but not a big word. Big word, not a big word. Content prayer, content analysis of Paul's prayer. We will examine the 11 or 12 big words that he used. Students of the Bible who believe in the Bible know something called the verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible. Big word. It only means the words that are spoken or written in the Bible as God's word are chosen carefully and they have meaning and they have power. And you must understand what he's saying. Hello, are you with me? So, if you, if you want to read the Bible, read a good version. We can teach all of that. But the verbal inspiration of the Bible, the words are not chosen carefully and thrown around uh, no, they are chosen and inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what is content analysis of this prayer? We know that the church in Korea prays. So as a student of church growth, been to Korea by his grace about five 
five times or so studying churches. And one of the most <laughs> frightening lectures we ever had was to have a professor come and teach us about the content of Korean prayer. I said, content of prayer. He gave us a full lecture. What are they praying about? When they come to a prayer mountain, what is the prayer about? Whether it is in tongues or in Korean or people who join them. He said, I've forgotten the percentage now, but more than 60 to 70% of what they pray about is about they themselves and their children and their parents and their business. Why? He explained that in a Korean society, the children are so brilliant that almost every child gets an A. And there are few schools that we call grade A schools, and all those people want to go to grade A school. So everybody's praying that their children will get all A's and get the top and top of the grade A schools. Is that sinful? All right, that's the content of the prayer. Number two, when they get to the school, they must get their chosen subject. There are some subjects that people like. There are some people don't like. So if you are praying for them, they get that one. Then they come to themselves. These are business people looking for business opportunities. And they have learned the, the trade of massive production and good PR. If you've ever been to Korea, you go and visit them. The kind of goods they'll give to you are sample. They'll give you plenty. They give. So you're praying, God, give me business. Give me business. Give me business. Give me customers today. Let me export. Let me get favor. And, of course, they add a few things. God bless the church. Bless your kingdom. Bless this. See, with that content analysis, they have to teach their people that it is good to pray about your concern. But if you take the Lord's prayer carefully, see how the Lord asks us to pray. And then he tells us, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that what you are doing? Or if you take Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these other things shall be added unto you. Is that what you think you are doing? And gradually, people learned that content is important as far as God is concerned. Yes, you can be doing the motion. You can be doing anything that you want to do. But is it in accordance with what God wants? Content prayer. I'll quote this verse again. I preached it some years back. It became a ringtone that some of my students sent to all kinds of places. But I'll, I'll preach it again because we are supposed to be true to the word. The Paul who is writing to this people, and I'm saying to you again today as church, that I have the privilege to be your pastor. Content means you know what you are praying about. You have listed it, you are praying. You can pray in tongues. You can pray in the content prayer. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 15, 1 Corinthians 14, 14 and 15, if you pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Friends, there are people who I know, and I suspect, the only way they can pray is when they are praying in tongues. Nothing wrong with that. God has given you one to use it. But I ask them, when you are doing content, you, you will not do the content yourself. 
But for the sake of doing what the Bible is teaching you, do both. If I pray in tongue, my spirit prays. But my mind is all fruitful. I pray in tongues, so I know. I can be praying here and I'll be looking at you and looking at all kinds of things, the food I'm going to eat next, and all kinds of things that are happening. The girl who has dressed beautifully, the man who is doing this. You can, your mind can be roaming. The Bible is a very realistic book. So you say, I will do that, but I will also do this. Let's pray for Reverend Dr. Dora Bote. She hasn't come to church for a long while because she needs recovery. Can you say definitively that when you are praying, you are praying for her? If you can say that, bless you. But what is wrong with praying in God, in every, in the language you understand? God understands that also. That is a context in which I am teaching you about content prayer. Paul's analysis. So, the Apostle Paul is writing. And in two verses, we see 11 phrases, what he said. What do we learn? He said, this is what I pray for you, the Philippians. What is he praying about? One, that your love may abound. Here are people who send him money. So just thank him for sending me money. I mean, you know money that you want. For some of us, you say when you sow money, you will get money. So sow money and you collect money, but not their father in the Lord. He said, I pray that your love may abound. The love of God, the love for one another, the love to pray for other Christians, the love of the world that is yet to be saved. This is the appropriate subject of his prayer. We cannot wish and pray for better things than saying that the love that is the greatest that God wants us to have is being manifested in his children in Philippi. Of course, it may have been that love that caused them to share their goods with him and others. Secondly, you may abound in knowledge and in all judgment. Oh, <laughs> can't. here the word means the power of discerning. The power in every group, in every church, in every society. There are things flying around. In Philippi, quack prophets came in. In Ghana, they are there. In the church globally, they came in. So what is he praying for? I'm praying that you are bound in knowledge. The idea is that he wishes them to have intelligent affection. It should not be mere blind affection, but intelligent love, which is based on an enlarged view of God, what God is able to do. He's interested in their discernment that this spirit, this prophecy, this story, this that's coming from here, it is not the spirit of God. Because that is what caused them in Acts chapter 16 to rebuke the spirit of a girl who followed them. These are men sent by God. Listen to them. Yeah, true. But what was behind it? Because Paul knew very well by discernment that that message can come from the girl's own spirit, can come from the devil, can come from some charlatan, can come from familiar spirit. And when he descends, he says, come on, get out in the name of Jesus. Because when they do that to you, when they tell the half-truth, they are from God and you believe it. Next time when I say, they say, God say, give me the key to your car. Give me your bank account that has 100,000 CD. You give it. So Christians are not to commit intellectual suicide because you are a Christian. Pray for all judgment. Then, verse 10, that you may approve what is good. The word used here denotes the kind of trial which metals go through. Prove what is true. You may approve what is good. 
Pardon me, I had a, the, the choice or the opportunity one day to go to an Israeli jewelry factory where they manufacture or they polish diamonds, the beers, diamond polishing. And I don't know what caused me to ask the man who was selling the question. Because he was wearing a diamond ring, and I've never seen many men wear diamond rings. So I asked him, Chief, how much is your diamond ring? He looked at me, and he, he laughed. I said, do you really want to know? I said, oh, yeah, tell me. He said, this diamond ring I'm wearing is about $5. I said, what? He said, keep quiet. I said, $5? He said, yes. No, but why are you wearing it and you are selling? He said, let me tell you the truth. There are very few people, if any, who can look at diamond just by your wearing it and tell you how many caras and how, many, how much it is worth. I said, yeah, unless you test it. So people buy those things, an investment, it is this, it's just, it's just an entry thing that boosts their ego. You have to test it. So this five carat I'm wearing, five dollar one, it's nothing. I said, oh, really? Can you give me one? So there are even cheaper ones, or there are better ones. What the man was telling me is that some of us are buying cheap things, thinking that they are real. But what he said, that, so what they do is that before you approve what, you must be sure it is not fake. In the olden days, people would make caps. They'll create things. And then when the, when the cap is broken, they'll use wax to seal the pottery. So you may not know what you bought. Those were days before you could test those things. Now you can test them. So you are doing, essentially what Paul is saying is this. You may approve things that are genuine. Genuine Christian. We'll come to that. The word used here denotes a kind of trial to which metals are exposed in order to assess their nature. And the sense here is that the apostle wished them to try the things that were real, of real value, and to discern that which is not genuine. So all the things that are flying around on the internet, or social media, about this, about that, about that, about politics, what, what, what is it? Then, approve the things that are excellent. The idea is that when you want to do something, you must do it well, but choose the best. They should be esteemed according to their real value. It is remarkable how the apostle was anxious to be sure that the Christians should be regarded as intelligent Christians and should be understood and they should understand the real worth of what they are dealing with in this world. That the world and everything in it is passing. But when you are doing whatever, choose the best. Don't go and let somebody sell a $5 diamond ring to you for $10,000 because you want a diamond ring for your birthday or for your wife's 100th anniversary when you don't know the value. They are telling you something. But that's, take that to spiritual realms as well. But the last one he says here, or the, there's another one, that you, may, that you may be sincere. That's a big word and that can take a lot of time. What does it mean? The word sincere literally means without wax. Without wax, the waxing. Or let me say, without POD, the polish. I picked a lady one time, we had clothes from Sheffield, and she, she said, I thought she said, pastor. No, no, she said, master. So I picked her. 
When I asked her where she was getting down, he said, anywhere I take her, she will go. Now I realized, oh, oh, I was in trouble. So I said, which one? I had learned a few things that Professor Radio told me about the doctor who was beaten in Kolibu when he had picked a prostitute and hung the neck and said, you took me, now you won't pay me. So I picked the lady and I said, which hotel? So he said, by that time, my good friend, Dr. Osebonsu was alive. I said, Ed, meet me somewhere. So he met me. So I asked the lady, which hotel? She showed me the hotel. And I said, why are you doing this? So I'm doing this because this blah, 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 blah. My children, I don't have money. I said, well, can you come and see me in the office? Say me? I can't come to your office because I'm a worker. I work in the ministries. I said, but I've seen you. He said, you think what you are seeing is me? It's not me. I said, it's not you. I said, no. If I remove this, <laughs> and I won't remove it. I said, hey, these people are brave. Oh. So it's not you. And then I said, Ed blew the home, ping, ping. I said, Madam, I beg you, get down. The rest of my people have come. So just my star is shining today. Instead of taking me and giving me so I said, I'm not taking you to give you something. How did you call me? She didn't you say, Pastor? Because the shield of Laboni had closed and I was taking some people home. I said, I didn't say, Pastor. I said, Master. I said, Oh, ho. I didn't hear you well. You heard something. But she taught me something. To be sincere has a number of things. That's what Paul is praying for them. That they must be sincere and those they deal with must be sincere. Six qualities of sincerity. First, that those who are in the church, those you are dealing with, when they say they are Christian, they are truly converted. They have not assumed Christianity as a mask. Number two, that the motives behind what you are doing are true and genuine. If they are not genuine, you should be able to know and teach them and correct them. Sincerity, because that's why they become Christians. If they are in the church, teach them. And you yourself, your motives must be right. Three, that the conduct is free from double-dealing, tricks, and cunning. One word, cunning. Sincerity, that's what it means. Number four, that his words express real sentiments of the heart. Your words that you are using, the word that the person is using, express the real sentiment of the heart. I used to serve on the, one of these boards, uh, narcotic board. So once in a while they would tell people, oh, to this day we'll have a polygraph test, lie detector test. And a few of the staff, the date given, they won't come to work. Why? Say, we have stopped. Have you received bribe at the airport? No. Have you received this? No. Have you received no? In five days, we'll have a polygraph test, lie detector test. And then you'll say, take your work. You'll not come back because they know you're telling lies. So your words are true. Let your words be true. Yes be yes, no be no. That he is true in his word and the person is faithful to their promises. Is that what we are? The last one. That is always what he professes to be. A growing Christian who is trying and making effort to grow. This is what Paul is praying for the Philippians to be after they've given him money. What type of prayer is this? You see what the content analysis will do? Separating the boys from the girls, separating prayer from prayer and making you know what is real. Then he said, being filled with the fruit of righteousness. And then when? And without offense. 
you will not be an offense to anybody. Because we are to be like Christ. Don't be an offense to anybody. People may take offense because they don't like you. But you try not to be an offense to anybody. And when should you stop this? Until Christ comes. Then he goes on verse 11. Being filled with the fruit of righteousness. Let me just simplify that. What is the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And he's added self-control. Against such there's no law. And these things can be done in Christ Jesus. Which Christ can produce in you. Which nobody can fake. A mango tree cannot bear banana. No. But Christ can make you what he wants you to be. Which result from endeavoring to follow Christ. Which are produced because Christ is working on your heart. Philippians this is what I'm praying for you. And he's sure of this because he has seen the fruit that the people who are there leading them, training them, coaching them, he doesn't even mention their name. They are imbibing these things in the life of the church. And what else do you want to see in the church? What else don't I want to see? Unto the glory and praise of our God. For all these things, say, his honor is never more promoted than the eminent holiness of his friends. Said it will be a wonderful thing when you people who I have served, God is honored because of your behavior, because of your character, because of your giving, sometimes because of your repentance. And God's name is glorified because that is what we are supposed to do, to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the content of his prayer. And I gleaned some of this from Riley's Bible study, word study. Let's go there. So, you see, two verses. He could have prayed 30 minutes, 40 minutes in an unknown tongue. Probably he did. But in reaching out to them and using what we call the verbal plenary inspiration and packing words, if you say, God, what are you telling me to be? What are you asking me to do? Who am I to be like? What is Paul thanking me for? What should characterize my life? You see it. Three words. Number one, application. We are to live to be like Christ. Is that true of you? That's a prayer he prayed for you. Number two, when we are like Jesus, we will do what he wants us to do. Is that your testimony? They had fellowship with him in suffering. We are willing to give. We are willing to pray. Is that your testimony? The apostle prayed for us. And we have our part to play. Are you playing your part? Friends, when we say that this year we are dedicating ourselves to behaving like Christ, we want to manifest Christ. Apostle Paul prayed that these people should manifest Christ. They had manifested Christ in a way and he was encouraging them to manifest it more. And that is my prayer for you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.